You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Winifred. Okay. Hello. I can't actually think of another name uh, for you, but I also don't <laughs> want to encourage you. So, hi. As William, let me say how nice it is to be a guest on your show. Thank you for being such a gracious host. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, guilt you out a little bit there. Hi. Not at all. What's happening? <laughs> I feel no guilt or remorse. But I, I do want to keep you apprised. So Apple has released the seventh beta for iOS 12.4 and the sixth watchOS 5.3 developer betas. Okay. Now, why should you care that they've released seven betas for what is clearly a maintenance release kind of OS? Um, I'm not sure, but I can't hold the numbers in my head anyway. So seven is just one more digit. They they like it a lot. Um, they're hanging on to it. That's what it is. Well, yeah. clearly, right? iOS, the, the iPhone 6 is going away as a device. It's not going to be supported any longer. It loses yeah. support in iOS 13. Yes. And because it does, and because they've sold a monster ton of these phones and they are still out there in use. People are asking things like, do I really need to buy a new iPhone? And what's gonna happen? Is my phone gonna get slow? Well, the, the iPhone running iOS 12 is not gonna get any slower than it already is. But one of the things that happens is that developers start supporting features in iOS 13 and requiring iOS 13. And so eventually you're going to have to get it in order to have your apps continue to work. Because what happens is that over time, API services, the way the apps talk to the web changes. And when those changes are rolled into updates, yours doesn't get them. And when yours doesn't get them, you can't use those things anymore. Obviously, that's a thing that happens over longer periods of time. But that's, that's the reason to consider eventually getting a new phone. If you need a new phone, if you need better cameras, if you need the features that a new phone offers, and when yours stops working as well, that's the time. What's interesting about iOS 12 is because there are so many out there, the and, and this is the last update it can conceivably get. Like they're not going to do a 12.5 when they're busy developing iOS 13 down the road. They're putting all this extra effort into making sure that it is right. That's why there are seven versions of it so far, seven different releases. So was the iPhone 6 really an enormous seller? I mean, more than the five or the seven. It was the first phone where Touch ID really came into its own. It was the first oh, phone right. that you could use Touch ID for Apple Pay on. It was the. It, it was a wide seller. It really was. I mean, I got one because I had to. Uh, my five, I uh, just died in an emergency phone. Six was the one available. Uh, so it's not one that I lusted after and got. It was uh, an expensive, unfortunate necessity. So maybe that colors my attitude of it. Though actually yesterday, as we record this, um, BT here in the UK uh, promoted uh, iPhone, oh, it's iPhone 6S to me as the phone I should buy. And I did think that was very interesting being, what, four phones ago, whatever it is now. Yeah. So people obviously like it. You're right. And here's Apple making sure it goes well. Well, and cool. by the way, the 6S will continue to be supported for at least another year. But it's mm. one of those phones that they've stopped selling in India. Yes, I wasn't expecting that. 
actually. I'm very curious to know what the logic is there, but I'm sure they have their reasons. There, there, there are a bunch of different parts that could form the reasons for that, right? There's mm-hmm. the the notion that Indians, like the rest of the world, don't necessarily want an older phone, and that the perception is that that's a very old phone. Good point, yes. The The other part of it is cost and and price for the local market, right? At, at some point, iPhone 7 drops in price because they've produced enough of them. It's a simple phone to produce. The parts costs come cheaper, things like that. And, I, and of course, I overstate it by saying a simple phone to produce. But in terms of right. uh, iPhone yeah. 7 versus what they're doing these days, it is a phone that they've done. It's in the bag. It's been produced. They can go ahead and make more of them. And does it become more desirable to have them using that? Eventually, Apple's road is to get everyone off of Touch ID anyway. Okay, outside of Max, right? They, they, the road is to get every device out there to be one that uses Face ID. And I like Face ID, but actually I quite miss Touch ID sometimes. I understand. I have it on there, my iPad. There are utilities where Touch ID is a little easier. But uh, it, that's that's the direction that these things are going in. And so it doesn't make sense if your plan is to get everyone onto a Face ID system over time to keep producing and keep selling devices that don't have it. What a world we live in, though, that an iPhone 6 is considered an old phone. I mean, I consider it that way as well. I'm not saying I don't, but it's not that many minutes ago that it was the new thing, and we just spurned it. Let's talk about the new thing for a moment. So uh, Marcus Brownlee has dummy models of three 2019 iPhones. Hmm. Now, these these dummy models show the giant square camera arrangement with the... uh, the, the three cameras in a flash or the, the two cameras in a flash kind of arrangement. I'm not sure how to say this. I mean, this is Marcus Brownlee. I think he's, he's really good at what he does. He's very interesting. I particularly like some of his uh, Tesla videos and things. But this one particular thing, um, it's really quite a dull video. Here are three mock-ups for seven minutes. Um, uh, he really just likes the, the camera bump on the back, and I don't see it as being any worse than the camera bump we've already got, so that didn't do it for me. Uh, they are literally mock-ups. Um, it's actually amazing how detailed they are, and, and until you try to switch them on or are told you can't, they look like they are the finished phones. So I'm sure he's right that they are what we're going to get. Um, but, you know, not necessarily. I'm not sure how much not I can look at it. I mean, mm-hmm. the, all of the the smoke around the fire that is 2019 iPhone indicates that this could be it. But you have to think back sure. quite a few years, probably to around iPhone 5 time frame, there was a rumor that it, the thing was going to be wedge-shaped, that it was going to be super thin at the bottom edge and, and fat at the top edge, and that this was going to be a revolutionary shape. And people produced dummy models of that wedge shape on, based on that rumor and then made cases based on that dummy model. And so... Oh, no, I didn't remember that particular rumor, but um, I have known that there's... I actually spoke to some case manufacturers, I think, last year, the year before, trying to work out you know, uh, who gets information actually from Apple, who doesn't. And maybe it's just who I spoke to, but none of them got anything from Apple they all either waited until it was actually out or they guessed. But the ones who guessed, it was worth them gambling. 
On, well, um, so, so so first of all, this? they didn't tell you the whole truth. What? And they can't um, because they're under non-disclosure agreements. Oh. Some of them get information from Apple. But they okay, can't tell you could. that they got the information from Apple. Now, the way to tell is that the ones that are in Apple retail stores on launch day, those are the ones that got the information from Apple. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And and it's not necessarily true that the ones that aren't didn't, but a number of the ones that are not on launch day, and, and, and part of that's also down to, because Apple also makes their own cases now in number and sells their own in, in their retail stores. So they don't have as many spots on the wall for third parties hmm. as they once did. But the ones that are, are not in Apple retail stores, but have other products in Apple retail stores, for example, you know, in the old days, Griffin made products that were not cases, but they also made cases. And they would have products that were not cases in the Apple retail store. But an interesting thing would happen, and this is not, not a Griffin case specifically, I'm just using them as an example, this didn't happen to them. But had they gotten, hypothetically, information uh, not from Apple about the cases and released the cases on launch day, the uh, the other products would have been kicked out of the Apple retail store. Oh, okay, right. Because, because Apple's position is that if you are using stolen information, which is how they frame it, then then you don't get to play. You don't get to be in the Apple store. Well, it's their product, I suppose. They can decide what they like about it. Right. So there are just... a number of factories that go off of rumor. There are a number mm. of factories that go off of the so-called stolen information. And then there are other manufacturers that get the information and simply can't tell you that they've gotten the information. That's really nicely. Okay. Does that help you? Have I laid it out for you? No, I feel betrayed, but I follow the logic <laughs> of the betrayal. I know which way the knife came, but that's all right. Okay. How do we get onto that? Oh, well, because we're talking Marcus, about these Mark dummy Rally's models. Stuff. And so these dummy, dummy yeah. models can look very much like the real thing. But there's nothing that suggests that they actually are other than all of the information that we have from all of the other analysts. You know, the, the Ming-Chi Kuo's of the world mm. saying, by the way, it's going to be about this size and probably have a camera management like this. Well, okay, so that's a reason to produce these dummy models. But it doesn't say that this is exactly the thing because it's made off of this, this sort of uh, third-party information, if you will. So what you're saying is, at the conclusion of his video, when Marcus Brownlee is actually really quite sad looking, that uh, he believes there's barely any difference between the 2018 and 2019 iPhones other than the three cameras, he could yet be terribly, terribly wrong. Well, I, I think that's glossing over things in a big way, because there are a number of changes internally that you don't see or talk about, and they can be supplier changes, they can be... Uh, manufacturing changes in terms of antennae. They can be all kinds of things that they're thinking about at Apple internally that don't necessarily make it into the appearance of a dummy phone. But they're also not exactly going to be making it into a, a full slide on the presentation at launch day either, are they? Well, the, the highlights of launch day are pretty frequently kind of iterative, right? 
we have more cores inside the machine learning coprocessor, right? We have we have Motion X was the big the highlight one year, right? Things you can't see outwardly, but change how you experience the phone. This is the best iPhone we've ever made, that kind of Right. Thing. And and it is because it has the better camera. It's got, you know, instead of two cores for a machine learning coprocessor, it's now got six cores, right? So there are all these things that go into it, or it can run metal 64 times as fast as the previous version, right? Things that you can't tell until they tell you that it's in there, and then you've experienced it. Uh, that, actually, that's interesting, because I remember thinking when I swapped uh, from my my old 6 to my 10s Max, that there was a certain part of me that was doing it because I just really fancied the, the 10s Max. I couldn't justify it because the 6 seemed fast enough seemed good enough it had the new battery had the new update and then i used the tennis max and it was like oh okay i made the right choice there yes until you get it in your hand and you use it i can well appreciate now that there are things we don't so maybe marcus won't be won't have to be as disappointed as he seems to fear and i'm really actually rooting for the guy on this i, I like his work very much so well fingers he, crossed for him He's going to do what the rest of us do. He's going to eventually get the phone in hand and then be able to talk about it. And because he'll have seen launch day, just like the rest of us, will understand what to look for as the changes. And that will be the difference for him. Okay. I'm not sure that uh, when you say he's going to, like the rest of us is going to get it because I, I'm going to be stuck with my tennis Max for a very long time. No, no. <laughs> what I mean is, is, well, first of all, he probably will get one. But second of all, in terms of, it gen being released generally to all of us. Oh, yes. Okay. Right. For us to to look at in the Apple store. Yes. yes. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop everything for a moment. Hold everything. Because I want to I talk briefly about someone who's kindly sponsoring us this episode. And I'm going to ask you about your experiences with them. Have you ever heard of the Omni Group? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Love the Omni Group stuff. Yeah. So what, what do you like about Omnigroup software? What, what, what are some things that you can think of? Okay. Um, I find there's a comprehensiveness. They are, uh, all of them, extremely powerful at what they do. Every time I think of something I need it to do, it does it. But as part of that, it doesn't throw all that stuff in your face. I find them comparatively simple to use. Just they reward deeper use with more and more features. I think their design's exceptional. And um, uh, yeah, they've been developing since the next days. They really know their stuff and, and it shows with, with every app. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite Omni apps? Oh, well, there are actually four key Omni uh, apps and I use uh, three of them. I don't use OmniGraph for the, the graphics one because it's, it's not really, I don't really understand it to be fair, but there's <laughs> OmniPlan project management. I probably use that three or four times a year on, on really big projects, but Omni Outliner, I'm a writer who hates outlining. I would rather start writing, see where I go, throw it away uh, if I don't like it. But Omni Outliner, it, I do use it for planning scripts when necessary, when I've got to provide, you know, when I'm contractually obligated to provide an outline before I write. But I use it, I mean, I was in it today planning out uh, an event I've got to do next month. Um, I just suddenly thought of something that must be in the event fired up and this thing chucked in a note at the end so I know it's in there and later when I've got time to you know schedule the day I can move the items around I can play I can add columns do notes to myself and then of course I frankly the legend that is 
OmniFocus, the uh -huh. to-do list. Uh -huh. Oh, OmniFocus rules my life in a very, very positive way. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned it because that's the one they're actually hoping we'll talk about. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Okay. <laughs> Sleeves up. Where do we start? Okay. Well, well, so yes. let's just, first of all, OmniFocus is a professional to-do list manager that helps you accomplish more every day. That's, that's their tagline. And the benefits that they think you'll get from it are lower stress because OmniFocus remembers everything for you. Better planning because OmniFocus makes planning and reviewing easy. And getting work done on time because OmniFocus tells you what you need to do next. Yeah. You agree with that so far? Uh, yes, I'd like to say more about every single bit of this, but I thoroughly agree, yes. Okay. Now, they did something that I don't think you knew about. I don't think you caught on to it. Is it dropped tasks? Is it OmniFocus for the web? It is. And it, oh, curses, you caught onto it. Okay. Sorry. So it's great. OmniFocus for the web shipped earlier this year, and it is a browser-based companion app to OmniFocus for Mac and iOS. So wherever there's a browser, you have your OmniFocus, and it syncs with OmniFocus for Mac and iOS. It's designed for laptop and desktop use, particularly for people who use Windows or Linux who can't install software on their work Mac for, for IT policy reasons. It includes the core features of OmniFocus, actions, projects, tags, due dates, and more. And there are more features on the way. They are working on forecast right now. Great. And Sorry, our, our great review, the that. Apple Insider yeah. review, obviously, has called it unparalleled online software engineering. Hmm. I wrote that word. I was I, about to say, I can't imagine who wrote that. <laughs> thing is, I don't actually need OmniFocus for the web because I am I'm Mac'd up to the hilt. I have it on my Mac, I have my iPhone, uh, iPad, all of this stuff. I do work with people who've actually had to abandon it because they found they couldn't use it at work. So when I looked at it, I thought this would be where I can go back to these people and tell them, well, you can do some bits. You know, you can carry on using stuff at home, but this will at least show you some stuff. And no, you look at it, and I swear, the more you use OmniFocus on a Mac or iOS, the more startled you are when you see it on the web. Because although there are emissions like Forecast, it's amazing. It looks just like the Mac app. In fact, as I understand it, it is the Mac app uh, running on a Mac server at wherever Omni's uh, servers are and playing out over the web. I think they've done an astounding job. And uh, yes, good on them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm an Omni user from years back, you know, starting as far back as 2000 with the public beta for OS X in 2001. I, I ran everything from Omni Outliner and Graffle, which I actually used for my work at the time, to... Um, Oh boy, uh, I was using, they, they did this cool things back then where they would take classic macOS uh, games, macOS 9 games, and write shims that allowed you to run them on OS 10. So Ani, O-N-I, was a game that I enjoyed really a long time ago. And it was Omni Group who made it possible to run that in OS 10. I had no idea. They yeah, you know, like that at all. Pe people think of them for Outliner and Graffle, which I, I had back in 2001. People think of them for OmniWeb, which was their web browser for Next mm. and early OS X systems. Um, that sort of went away when Safari became a thing. And they've done so much more. I, I used OmniFocus back when it launched in 2009, and it's grown so much since then. Yeah. Uh, I'm still using OmniDisk Sweeper every now and again. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad yeah, that's still I mean, around. 
actually I have three screens around me and OmniFocus is open on all of them. Um, yes. There you actually, go. You, there you go. That's saying... exactly why you buy a Macintosh. Buy a Mac so you can run OmniFocus. Although, uh, buy, buy a Windows PC or run Linux and use OmniFocus for web. I one thought you said something about how uh, it's uh, OmniFocus can tell you what you've got to do next, uh, and it can. It's great. You can just get stuff out of your head and trust that it will tell you when that thing is due. But there's also, I, I think, as well as being a to-do list, it's a can-do list. Mm -hmm. So when I'm waiting for a train, I've got 10 minutes, I can look at it and think, well, what phone calls have I got to make? And it doesn't matter that this is for Apple Insider and this one's for the Writers Guild, where I also work, or the BBC. It's just, right, these are the phone calls. This is what it's about. And you can knock them off quickly before your train comes. Uh, it's just excellent. And you also, I also find my absolute favourite thing is I got to the end of the day and discovered I've done everything I have to do. <laughs> I've just gone off and cooked. <laughs> you, you know how yeah. OmniFocus yeah. began, right? Part of, um, it was a original Omni Outliner with uh, Kinkless GTD, is that right? Yeah. Some phrase yeah. like that? So I was, never used uh, it, it though. Was, it was Evan Schoonover or Ethan Schoonover, I forget his name, I apologize. But uh, but yeah, it was it was basically an extension that was added on to um, Omni Outliner by this fellow, and he wasn't even working for Omni, he just did it because he wanted GTD or getting things done, which was all the rave at the time. And... Omni brought him on, and it's grown into this huge thing. Did you ever use it? I've, I've heard the name, but I've never even seen it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I can imagine how you would do it, because Omni Outliner is ridiculously useful for all sorts of things. But I'm glad it's become what it has. Oh, absolutely. One last question. Go ahead. What is a grapple? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so uh, OmniGraffle as a product is, is sort of like Visio from Microsoft in that you can use them to make uh, workflow diagrams. You can use them to make diagrams of network topologies. You can use it to make uh, flowcharts with all of the different types of, of yes, no branches and, and paths there. And it's got all sorts of different plugins so you can also use it to make interface mock-ups for example which is something i used to use it four years ago oh right and it's it's really really flexible and each of those different kinds of plugins i i think of as a graphle file and there used to be this graphle exchange where you could go ahead and download different templates and kinds of things and different objects to put into your graph and it's actually so so extensible that you can run presentations from it. You can make your slides <laughs> in Graffle and present on projector, present your slideware is an OmniGraffle document. It's really, really powerful. Because you know what I've got to do now, don't you? I've mm. got to look into OmniGraffle, but I'll add that to my OmniFocus to-do list. That's Absolutely. There you go. Yes. That's the stuff. Okay. Now, MacBook Air, right? 2019 MacBook Air. Yes. Looks the same as the 2018 model. Yes, I missed the MacBook, but other than that, MacBook Air looks right. very nice. So 13-inch nice. display, Thunderbolt 3 ports, Touch ID. Um, the keyboard is a little bit different. Yeah. 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 I understand so, yeah. So this is because Apple's using the latest generation butterfly keyboard. And when you go back and forth between them, 
you can tell the difference. Oh, really? As marked as that? Okay. Yeah. Oh, hang on. In a good way, presumably. Well, I mean... I mean, the new one's better, yeah, yeah. one hopes. Oh, okay. Right, it's, that's good. it's a little bit softer, a little bit quieter than the older ones. And it, it feels the same as the latest MacBook Pros because, well, big surprise, it should be. It is. Um, okay. The True Tone display is pretty awesome. True Tone display is the sort of adaptive display technology that adjusts color temperature of the display based on the ambient light in the room. It matches the temperature of the lights in the room to make the display easier on your eyes. I did hear from a video developer saying he would not a video developer, a producer who he spent all night grading something in Final Cut Pro and only realized that when he came back the next morning, everything looked awful because, of course, the light of the Mac had been changing. He had to redo hours of work. But no, he knows now, and we all know now. Other than that, that one case, True Tone is ace. Yeah. Right. And that case has been brought up before in terms of photography editing as well. That. Oh. You know, you, you need to, you, the Mac is a very powerful and configurable machine and you need to configure it for the setting that you're doing things in. If you're, if you're a user and you're reading at night, then adjusting the ambient temperature of the display to match the ambient temperature of the room makes sense. If, if you're trying to color correct, well then, rethink things a little bit. And that just so needs actually, to be a part of your workflow. Uh, absolutely, it should be, and and it is with his now, doubtlessly. But you would think for something like uh, Photoshop or Final Cut Pro that there could be some intelligence in the Mac to go, they're likely to need accurate color here, and switch it off. I mean, you can't dump everything on Apple, but it'd be a nice little bit if they did add it. Uh, file a feature request. Okay. <laughs> now... One of the things that is interesting is that SSD performance from the 2018 to the 2019 MacBook Air is different. Different doesn't sound good in this case. What's the difference? Well, so the 2018 MacBook Air averaged about 500 megabytes per second on write speed and 1700 megabytes per read on, uh, on, on disk speed. And this was done using Blackmagic Disk Speed Test, which is a useful tool for, for seeing throughput for video editing. <clears throat> okay. Running the same test on the 2019 MacBook Air, scores didn't exactly hold up. Write speeds were consistent. They were the same 500 megabytes per second, which is important. But readback speeds were much reduced at about 1,200 megabytes per second. So 1,200 as opposed to 1,700. Yeah. That's... Uh, is that a third? That seems significant. It is, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's not wonderful. Why would that be when one imagines it's the same SSD and pretty much the same MacBook Air? Is there an obvious reason? It sounds reason? like a failure of imagination. I, I would say that they're not the same SSD if that's the case. <gasps> okay. Apple lying to me about SSD. Well, they haven't actually said it's the same one. I'm just supposing. But okay, I'm lying to me about it being the same SSD. Well, this is, well, this is a disastrous day here. Okay. I mean, the the I I would think that the interface is probably the same, and that the controller on the other side, right, the the yeah. the other side of that interface is the same on the MacBook. Oh, so hang it's on the though. SSD that I would think would be the difference. I read somewhere, I think actually on Apple Insider, that SSD prices from Apple 
were significantly reduced. Do you think they've found a, a cheap knockoff supplier somewhere and that's what they're selling us? Well, it's not a knockoff supplier, but it is a different vendor, I would imagine. Hmm. And, and of course, the reason that you do that is to make sure that you, you're either maintaining margin or that you're able to absorb rising costs when supplier costs change. You know, a tsunami hits in the production factories and all of a sudden there's no hmm. SSD available. What do you do? Yes, good point. Okay. So, it, I had to translate it from the 17 whatever to about a third off to get a feel for how much you would, but, but is that a, a, a realistic thing of mine? Would I expect to find that MacBook Air a third slower than well, last year's one? I mean, it depends on what you're using your MacBook Air for. And that's the sort of thing where we're talking about large quantities of data, right? Hmm. And if you're not pushing large quantities of data, if you're pushing smaller files, then the speed difference is going to be difficult for you to notice. Okay, so that's good. But equally, if you're doing more, it's going to be bad. Are you doing Final Cut on your MacBook Air? point i would be if i had a macbook air yes or or at least adobe premiere is the macbook air the appropriate machine for someone that does a lot of final cut or or adobe premiere work yeah but there's there's appropriate machine and machine you can afford to get i mean i'm all right with something being slower if it's the only one i can afford i mean i have a mac mini instead of an imac for example and i'm mostly very happy with it but i'm conscious that i have chosen a model that probably isn't optimum for what I do. Yeah. I, I think yeah. the thing that would concern me is is that you know, you 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 you're trying to get good value for money, right? You pay for something, you hope that it will be the best at what it can possibly be. And yeah. we we just uncomfortable with the idea that SSDs get slower over time as opposed to faster or even holding even. No, actually, I'd forgotten that. Uh, I say that as if I knew it. I knew there was a limit on SSDs. They didn't last forever. But it's they specifically <laughs> slow down. and Well, no, they away. don't slow down over time. But I mean, in terms of from year-to-year year model. Oh, I see. Sorry. Okay, that's better. Right. Thank, thanks for asking me that, because I, I should correct that, yeah. No, the, the SSDs do have a limited lifespan because they wear out you know they they are they have a lifespan measured in number of writes which depending on how you use it you could kill one in two years you could have one last for years longer than that but it is backup is important and and data failure is a possible fact of life on anything Mm -hmm. i'm looking at my mac mini now thank you Mm -hmm. several months in yeah but okay, you know, I, I replaced the SSD in that that MacBook Air that we got over here, and I'm comfortable doing that. So, just uh, part of the fact of life. Now, of course, if the SSD is soldered on the mainboard, then we start to have different problems because now you've defined what the usable life is of that machine. Yes, yes, and that is the case with the Mac Mini, isn't it? I mean, I'm getting very personal I, here. In my I situation. Haven't looked at the open up on one of those. I need to look okay. at the take apart and tear down to tell you. Right. Well, I should check into that myself, shouldn't I, since it's my you machine. You okay. should. Don't, don't, don't check into it now. Board. You can wait until after we record. 
Oh. Okay. <laughs> so, um, tell me something happy then. Is there anything exciting and wonderful going on rather than my Mac SSD is eventually going to die on me? Well, so Jack Dorsey, co-founder of Twitter, came to Apple and addressed members of Apple's marketing team. Oh, right. Yes. At Apple Park, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Now, we have no idea what he actually said, but uh, the suspicion here is that it's one of a series of such talks that is being held with different industry figures. Yeah. Um, you know, Apple has talked about and promoted Twitter uh, returning to the Mac using Project Catalyst. Um, Square Cash has been supporting Apple Pay since 2018. So those are all cool things. Uh, but no one else has spoken about what was actually said. I think we can guess, though, can't we, realistically? No? Mm, what do you think? I am pretty sure he came in to say to them that uh, the SSD is sold to the logic board of a Mac Mini and that this is a bad thing. You, that's what you think. That. That's what you think, Jack. Yeah, Corsi came that's to say. what I think, and apparently it is. Yes. Okay. I did just check. you know, there or they're, it could uh, be apologising for taking Twitter off the Mac for eighteen months or whatever it was. Right, and it's it's entirely possible that they want to talk about deeper integration between Apple support and Twitter because that's one of the things that that Twitter gets used for. <clears throat> Good point. Yes. True. Uh, I'm clearly far less likely than my examples, but yes, it's possible. I'm just making stuff up at this point. We don't know. Well, but, actually, uh, another mean... valid point is is that he came to talk about what social is and how to use social properly, because that's one of the things that Apple has a history of not doing very well. True. We also, wait, I was going to say we know, but actually we believe we know that he was explicitly talking to a select group of people from Apple's marketing department. Twitter is somewhat of a marketing tool. Maybe that's it. It was just telling them how hashtags work or yes. something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Still prefer mine, but this makes more sense now. Yes. Yep. There we go. Mm -hmm. On Tuesday, the U.S. Department of Justice asked a federal appeals court to halt enforcement of an antitrust ruling against Qualcomm, citing the necessity of the company in 5G networking and support from both the Energy Department and Defense Department. So this is what's happening is, is since Huawei has been given the boot for 5G technology in the U.S., more or less, uh, for the Department of Defense, Qualcomm is a key player in terms of their supply chain and their, their role in 5G technology. And so the Department of Justice, that is the, the Trump administration and U.S. government, have asked the court to hold off enforcing the antitrust case. Until their parcel arrives from Amazon. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. That makes you think if there's, isn't there a health and safety at work law or whatever it's called in, in the States uh, that explicitly does not apply to people working in the White House? They got themselves uh, a loophole just for that. Pass it for the rest of the country, but not for the, inside the, the West Wing and all this stuff. Mm. Hmm. Well, it's it's... Not quite like that. The idea is that if they've hobbled Huawei and they hobble Qualcomm, then where's 5G going to come from? Mm. Intel. No, no. Okay, it was just a passing thought. In the yeah. Moment. So this is this is the problem, and it's not just 5G for phones. It's 5G for infrastructure. Mm. 
because you have to have it at the towers. You have to have all the back end there. So yeah. if, you know, Qualcomm had launched an appeal to the antitrust ruling, they'd stay, they'd, they'd tried to get a stay of enforcement, they'd had no luck. So now the DOJ is stepping in, the very people that bring the antitrust cases, and saying, you know what, we brought this case, let's go ahead and hold off on it for now, temporarily. Uh, did they have the right? I mean, the fact that they want to do this, does that mean it will happen? Or is there some sort of process I mean, that's got to go? It, the, the, they, they've asked the federal appeals court. Now, when the prosecutor asks the judge, typically the judge kind of wants to go along with that. It doesn't always happen. But prosecutorial uh, uh, advice or discretion, as you want to say it, is, is kind of a huge deal. Now, they've already passed okay. discretion. They had the discretion to bring the case or not bring the case. They brought it. So at this point, it's just advice. But they have, they've asked. Okay. Sorry, I'm just thinking of the other side of this, that uh, Huawei gets to keep on doing this. Is that enough for it uh, to weather the rest of the storms have not been able to do? Various things like having Google on board. Can this part save the whole company? Because I hate to think of a thought. I mean, I know how I skew stuff, but I'm just assuming that's not true, assuming that's still being worked out. Uh, I'll hate the idea of a, a company being taken down by ex external forces. Yeah. So can they survive? Will this help? What, Huawei? Yeah. Well, Huawei, the government is forbidden from purchasing anything from Huawei anyway at this point. So this this doesn't change things for Huawei. In which case, does Huawei actually care about what the DOJ wants? Well, I mean, it, it, it a little bit, because if Qualcomm suffers under this antitrust ruling, then, the, uh, then, then Huawei becomes the only other game in town, really. And so, yeah, they're absolutely focused on the outcome, but it's not going to be the U.S. government that's going to be purchasing, because that's not going to suddenly change. It's It's going to be do American cell phone carriers and cell phone networks and other networks start purchasing where they've, they've currently sort of not. I wonder what I would do if I was in the market for this stuff and the, the DOJ got this pause. Would I be really focused on the word pause and thinking I could invest money here and, and have this all go wrong next week, next year? It's a difficult thing. Hmm. It is because, you know, you don't, I mean, we know what the ruling was. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the actual punishment was meant to be. So no. it's it's uh, a matter of gauging what that impact is on the future developments like 5G. I'm sorry, I don't know why my mind has leapt to this, but um, is anybody talking about 6G yet? No. Can and we start? No. It begins here. No. 6G is going to be no, faster. No. It's come, come. going to be bigger. Hey, yeah. Uh, so people could First of all, us. First of all, we need about five to seven years of 5G to get established and really show that it can do what it needs to do. And then, you know, so, so about, let's say, 2013 to 2019, that's six years. Um, Let's let's have about six years of public release, and then we'll start publicly talking about six G. The if the timeline follows four G in any way, 
the development is already probably taking place. The thoughts processes for it are already taking place, but we need to get 5G down. And we haven't. Okay. Yeah, just sort of put it out there. See what happened. And you shut it down, but okay. Right, what else is going yeah. on? Is anything else happening? One last, um, one last, oh, well, yeah. is it one last story or two last stories? Uh, let's do two quick ones. So first of all, Apple is looking at funding podcast shows. Yes. I'm just as just as Netflix has their Netflix originals that they pay to produce, just as Apple is doing this with the TV channels plus offerings, Apple is looking at uh, starting up some podcasts. Mm. And it obviously follows Spotify doing it as well. I'm not yep. drawn to this. I like the openness of podcasting, <coughs> the ability to just uh, I mean, I'm suddenly addicted to a thing called Every Little Thing, and I will never leave 99% invisible. But I wouldn't have found them if I'd had to first know where to subscribe. It's just, I like being able to stumble across things and stay if I like them. But, yeah. Mm. And the uh, the balkanization of that by saying, you know, uh, you you have to join the service to get this podcast is annoying. And if you have listeners that only discover you through that service and you leave that service to publish independently, then those listeners aren't going to follow you. I presume it's exclusive, isn't it? So if you're with Apple, you're not with Spotify. So you have to pick the horse you want to be on. Yeah. All right. Not convinced. I don't think anybody wins there. the, The time to do this was in 2005. And of course it was early in terms of, of that kind of sponsorship and and production but if you wanted to really own the podcasting space do it earlier than now because now it's it's very much very liberated and of course spotify is trying to stop that by buying up things like like production tools so that Hmm. podcasters have an easy route to publish by using those tools Um, and maybe that's what apple ought to have done now they tried uh, years ago to make podcast production easy by distributing stuff on the Mac. But if they made an iOS app that said, here's what you need to do, and you can use group FaceTime audio to set up your your calling and everything. True. Right? Job done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Maybe that's actually a good path. Okay. Wow. Yeah. An iOS app that uses group FaceTime as the back end for setting up the call between us. That's That would be pretty cool. All right. So when I suggest something for the future, it's not. But you're... You're looking ahead. To no, this. no, 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 and no. That's your first suggestion. The first suggestion that you had at the beginning of the show was perfect. Uh, the one where I told you realize... to file a feedback request. Oh, right. You realize I don't listen to myself. So uh, I'm sure it was very, very, very important. <laughs> um, I do remember thinking that's a radar report, isn't it? I don't think I've ever filed a radar report. They don't call um, them that anymore. It's now called from feedback assistant. It's feedback. You mean I've missed out on the whole radar? Thing. I think oh. so. Yeah. Okay, the kids today, I don't know what they're missing. Speaking about the kids today, uh, Linus Tech Tips. So Linus over at YouTube has launched a project where he's setting out to beat the Mac Pro by making a <laughs> Hackintosh with better performance. Um, Can he do it? I have a very, it? very short story about this. Uh, I have a fault on my Mac Mini that if it's running overnight, then suddenly any video I play on it 
we'll play instantaneously. It's like an hour show will be over in, in a second. And the only way to fix it is to restart. So actually this morning when I wanted to watch uh, Marcus Brownlee's stuff, I did restart for it. But yesterday I tried watching the Hackintosh video. Isn't it an hour, two hours long? And it played on my screen in under one second. And I thought that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Uh, this this <laughs> could be a bit too geeky for me. A little tedious um, for you, huh? Have you followed the whole thing? In fact, have you made a Hackintosh following the instructions? Uh, I haven't followed their instructions. In years past, I've made Hackintoshes. All right. And did it work out well for you? Uh, for the most part. Okay. Why do I feel that's a too big a thing to follow, the for the most part? But, but you know, I won't forget this. I'll come back to this. So the, the, the problems with Hackintosh are that you have to choose hardware very carefully so that you end up with something that is going to be well-supported in terms of things working. Not, not well-supported in terms of support from Apple, because you're not getting any, but supported in terms of, will audio work today? Will the camera work? Will I be able to use iMessage? Will I be able to sign into iCloud, right? Things like this. Will, will AirDrop work between a phone and the computer? Will it work between a Mac and the, the Hackintosh, right? There okay. are details that have to be thought through in order for these things to work. And there are little tricks to address them and, and configuration changes that you have to make to get things working. But, you know, will, will Hibernate work? If you're using a laptop, will it sleep properly or will you run out of battery because you've closed the lid and it's still going max? Right. Right. This doesn't sound like my idea of why I got a Mac. But right. I it's, can see the not. appeal. It's not. Yeah. So the appeal is you can throw faster, more expensive hardware at it and get the additional performance benefits. But it, it's it's great for a desktop. I mean, for a long time, Hewlett Packard laptops were mostly compatible and were probably the easiest way to go. Um where something like Lenovo ThinkPads, which are great machines, were not. Um, but if you're running on a desktop, you don't have to worry about power management as much. So you can go ahead and throw gobs of hardware at it and end up something with great performance. Now, the difficulty with their thing is they're, they're saying, Linus says, that they want to beat the Mac Pro. Well, the Mac Pro has huge amounts of expansion, has... Things like the, uh, oh, what's that personality card? The MPX module that's a part of the graphics things. Um, they've got that, uh, I'm blanking on the name. You know the card that I'm talking about? That That's uh, sort oh, of the, the co-processor card? Yeah, the Afterburner. Yeah. The, the FPGA, right? No motherboard has that. That's something only a Mac Pro is going to have. And so you're not going to get the same and you're not necessarily going to beat it although you could throw more RAM and more processor at it. So here they're using the same 28-core CPU. Great start. And, you know, if they throw gobs RAM at it, then yeah, they're going to get something good. But is it going to beat a Mac Pro or be the same as the Mac Pro? No. Is it going to be cheaper than a Mac Pro? Well, possibly, but think about what you're also not getting. Hmm. Okay. You just, you're really not selling me on this. If it was substantially cheaper and more powerful, then I might uh, get it. I think the intellectual challenge, yes, I get that, but uh, it's not one I have. So uh, in order to do the work I need to do, would I go this route? Conceivably, if it was 
gigantically cheaper and apparently, yeah, not so much. I mean, the, the nice thing about this video, right? Nothing the video says is actually wrong. There are no big technical gaffes. There are no giant issues that, that a user has to undergo to overcome, right? Right. Now, the video is not a step-by-step -step tutorial, but it, it's not going to be one anyway. Uh, if, if you buy the equipment that the video suggests, if you buy all the parts and you put it together properly and you perform the Mac installation, the Mac OS installation, then you'll get what they say. You'll get Mac OS running on that CPU. And, and yeah, you'll get it at a cheaper price than you will from Apple. But are, are we saying that people should go out and use this for their workplace? Well, no, because it's it's not going to have the same level of support. Now, in terms of Mac OS, yeah, right, an update could break it. Right. A software update could break everything. And that's, that's something that happens with Hackintoshes. If you run software like Autodesk or SolidWorks, where they certify the hardware that they approve, they're not going to be able to certify your slightly different configuration. Mm, okay. And that's not to say that it may not run, that it might run. It might run, but they could also block that. So really, what I'm taking away from this is that all the time you spend putting it together is equaled by all the time you have to spend keeping it going. And you could probably put all that time to better use on a paper round earning money to buy a real one. I mean, not necessarily. If you were if you were a small business and you wanted to do this, or a small home office and you wanted to do this, well, it's a great project. It's fun. allows you to tinker. But I, I would not suggest using one in a business environment. Because okay. you're, you're relying on it, and when it breaks, what are you going to do? It's, it, you're yeah. going to lose time trying to fix this thing, where the Mac Pro itself probably wouldn't break in the same way. Or at least if it did, Apple would fix it, as I just went through my, with my Mac yes, Mini. Yeah. Now, so, Pixar is never going to use one of these. Disney is not going to use these. JPL are not going to use these. The home-brewed machines that they're using are running Linux, which okay. is an intensive kind of thing to support anyway. So, they, you know, th th this is not it. Now, if you want to do it, go ahead, buy those parts, make the install, learn. It'll be a great exercise. You'll learn a lot along the way. But it's not the same thing as a Mac Pro. Yeah, I don't use Macs in order to learn how to use Macs and things. I use them to do, you know, writing and, and video work and stuff. I think uh, I, I, I might pass for just this week. Maybe next week. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have. I need to go. And so I'm so glad you joined us. I want to thank our listeners. Uh, I want to, to thank Ian, who specifically told us that we were fun to listen to. So thank you for that, Ian. <laughs> thank you, um, Ian. Yes. Yeah. William, yeah. where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am at, is, do you call me Winifred? At Winifred, I'm at W Gallagher. Uh, and also on William at AppleInsider.com. I am VMarks on Twitter, Victor at AppleInsider.com. Thank you so much. We will be back next week.